Well, good morning. So good to be here. Gosh, I mean, as, as Pastor Doug mentioned, it's been a long time since we, uh, we've met. First time we met, 2003, when you and Chip Payne came to Eastern European Leadership Conference in Krakow. And that was the first time, and it's been a long friendship since, since then. It is a privilege that God provides you with some friendships and partners in the kingdom that you can count high. So it's been 15 years now. And I have no doubt we'll, we'll continue to count higher and higher, higher and higher. So, so this is rare, and uh, I cherish those. So it's a pity you cannot see my wife, uh, but you will have a chance to. Yeah, should I do something to the further away? It is my Polish accent, right? You're not, you're not accustomed to that, I, I suppose. But you'll have a chance to, uh, to meet Magda and my two beautiful children uh, after we finish the service. Before we get to the word, let me just, I need, to, uh, I, need, I need to spend two minutes on two disclaimers, okay? First of all, I do not speak English. Those of you who know me, you know that. Those of you who see me for the first time, you need to know that I do not. I just know a few words. I use them randomly. <laughs> and I just hope they come across making some sense. It seems like I've just made a joke. <laughs> You're laughing, so, so that's one thing. So if I say something that doesn't make sense, it makes sense because I don't speak English. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I need to teach you how to say my name. Okay, so my name is Przemek. Bless you, you just all sneezed. <laughs> that's okay. So let me teach you. The first sound is really simple. It's like opening a can of Coke. Now, most of you are making a Sprite sound. That's a different sound. <laughs> but that's okay. So it's psh, and the rest is easy. Emek, pshemek. God bless you guys. Amazing. <laughs> so good. So now every time you have your Coke or Sprite or whatever, pray for Poland. Okay? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we just had a really good year uh, back in Poland. We started uh, academic year, school year, with a, with a big outreach with uh, Dr. Rice Brooks. We did a God's Not Dead event. Over 500 students sh uh, showed up. We were whole week on the, on the campus doing the God test with students, engaging them with the gospel. And, uh, you know, the soil in Poland is quite fertile. I mean, we figured that for every 100 gospel conversations, we've got 25 students who are willing to commit their life to Jesus. The follow-up is a challenge because the mistrust in our country is one of the main things we, we battle. So it was always a pain. I mean, we see all those students who are willing to commit their life to Jesus, but then there's no discipleship. And you know that without discipleship, it's difficult. I mean, you get wrong foundation, and it's, it's difficult to follow Jesus. So it, it's been so much fun last year because after outreach, we ended up with four small groups right on the, they're on the campus, and two of those small groups consist, consisted of students who didn't believe in Jesus. They, they were skeptics. They just wanted to learn more. So by, by, the, by the end of the year, our big meetings on the campus, big. <laughs> that used to be 12 people, grew to anything from 30 to 50 on any given Sunday, and we baptized four of those students a month ago. 
So, um, so sharing gospel is so much fun. And uh, it is fun, fun day to do that in Poland, at least. I'm not sure how it's here. I'm sure it's fun, too. I mean, that's what Jesus promised, right? The, the harvest is ready. It is? I guess he was right. He's ready. It's ready. So, okay, so my, one of my main passions in life is evangelism. So as I've been praying about coming here and what should I share and try to bless you guys, I, that's what I sense Holy Spirit told me. I'm like, just share what's, what's important to you. And evangelism is a big, hairy word. How many of you feel butterflies and excitement when you hear the word evangelism? One. The rest of you, by faith. Uh, yeah. And we probably all had, like, uh, probably difficult experiences with evangelism because, like, especially if you've got evangelists coming to the church. I hate those. I love them because I have to. But I hate what they do to me. They come, like, they take up the microphone, like, on my way here on the plane, I was sitting next to this lady, and I shared the gospel, and she got saved, and then I get a stepped off the plane, and I met this guy at the counter, and I preached the gospel, and he got saved, and then I preached to the taxi guy, and he got saved. I'm like, I'll never be that. It's intimidating very often, Right? And we, we, we know we need to, we hear those guys, I'll never be that, so where does that leave us? So let me, let me share the scripture with you and see if we can get some encouragement in that, okay? So I'm going to read from um, Acts chapter 1, just three short verses. You, you know them, but let's see what we can learn from those. So it's after resurrection, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. So, when they had come together, I'm starting with verse 6, chapter 1. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, that's, I guess, my daughter, She's interceding for my sermon right now. <laughs> you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the love you, sweetie, and to the end of the earth. So there's no word, there's no evangelism word in that verse. But there's another powerful word. It says that you will be my witnesses. And that is much easier to swallow idea to be a witness than to evangelize anybody. So let's talk about it. We will talk about what it means to be a witness and then the role of the Holy Spirit in the whole uh, thing. So let me tell you what I witnessed a uh, month ago. That crying baby, my sweet princess Liliana, that's her name, she's 19 months old. We were dancing one night. She loves to dance when she's not crying. So I was holding both of her hands, and she was saying, hopsa, hopsa, which means jump, jump. So I was holding her wrists, because I didn't trust her little fingers, and I was doing hopsa, hopsa. And she was laughing away. We had such a great time. And suddenly, I felt a crack 
under my right hand. And laughing and smiling turned into crying, like that. And her left hand, which was in my right hand, suddenly went like this. She couldn't move it. And I was like, uh-oh, I think I just broke my baby. <laughs> Not good. So I got a friend who was a chiropractor. His name is Tomek. So I called him up and I said, hey, Tomek, we did this and this happened. Any idea? Can you help? Because it's like a two-hour drive away. So I said, yeah, yeah, that's probably, a, a, you call it here, a nursery elbow or tantrum elbow. There's a medical term for it that I do not remember because I don't speak English, remember, right? So, and he said, it's quite easy to fix. It's a very easy procedure. So he explained the procedure to me, and then we finished talking, and I'm like, should I go ahead and do it? <laughs> <laughs> I broke her once. I don't want to break her twice. <laughs> so I got on YouTube. And I looked, for, I looked for that procedure. How do you do it? And it turned out it's quite simple. Artem, can you come up for a moment? Put, put the Bible away. You don't need it right now. So let's say that was this hand. So she was holding it like this, guarding. And it was supposed to do... Let me show you. Thank you, a bold man. <laughs> and uh, I, I prayed in tongues for like 15 minutes before. Magda was holding her, and I did just that. I grabbed her hand, extended, and went like this, and went pop. I felt the crack again, and I heard it. And she was like, uh, and suddenly she was fine. It just went away, and she was happy. She was playing, dancing, laughing away again. So, you might not believe it happened, I don't care. <laughs> I was there. I felt the crack. I witnessed my baby crying and being miserable, and in a second, I witnessed her being happy again. I was so ecstatic afterwards, I was thinking, who do I call, who do I call? I want, I want to share with somebody. Uh, I was like, okay, I need to go and find another baby with a nursery elbow and fix it. <laughs> I just got a new skill that can help people. I need to find somebody. How do I find another baby? No, I'll probably not find. Maybe, I know, maybe I'll record a YouTube video in Polish because the other one was in English to explain people how to do it. I was excited. So probably some of you getting excited about it also. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not sure you should do it at home. I don't care what you think. That's the power of, of witnessing something. I was there. That's how being a witness works. It's just a matter of honesty. It's not forcing something out of yourself. If you experience something that helps, if you're there, you, you want to witness. There's joy about it. So, so that's, that's the simple word. And the Greek word, actually, is martis, and you've got in English the word martyr from that. We've got a long tradition in Christianity behind us of 2,000 years of people believing so deeply in gospel that they were willing to lay down their life. 
people were coming at them saying, right now you say you don't believe it. You say that Jesus didn't rise again. Like, uh uh-uh. You can kill me, you can stone me, you can cut me. That one thing I know. So, So, let's talk about how do we do that with the gospel. Because it's not only personal, like what I just described to you. It's more than that. I hope you experience the, the power of the gospel, of the good news, in your own life. I hope you did. If you haven't, hopefully Holy Spirit will do something tonight, this morning that you, you, if He will touch you. But it's more than just personal. It's objective information. It's a historical fact. It's way more than just a story that makes you feel in a certain way. You know? I mean, if you want to feel good, you go to the movie theater and watch Star Wars. I mean, (laughs) probably not. I mean, the last one was not too good. (laughs) Bad example. Go and watch a better movie than Star Wars. (laughs) Sometimes I read the Word of God and I walk away not feeling excited. But there's something way more important in that than just, I mean... Feeling well, being encouraged in the world, that's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. So, if you can go with me to the first letter of Paul to Corinthians, chapter 15. You should, we should have it probably in a moment on the, on the screen. And this is very interesting scripture. Chapter 15, verses from 1 to 7. Because this is Paul writing to the church that he had planted. He had preached gospel there. And now he's writing a letter because there's mess, like in most churches, there's usually some mess. Probably not in yours because you got a great pastor. There's usually mess in mine. Uh, and he, he, he gives a lot of practical uh, uh, advice, but then he comes to this moment. He says, now I would remind you the gospel I preached to you, which you received, by which you stand, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Very important. This is what you receive, this is in what you stand, and this is how you are being saved. And so, let's pause here, because when the gospel was preached in Israel to Jewish people, it looked a bit different than what is being described, described here. The good news preached to, to the Jews was the Messiah has finally come. But if you came 2,000 years to this continent, and go among the tribes and say, hey, Messiah has come. People will go, will go like, uh, uh, who's Messiah? What is Messiah? I mean, great for you. I mean, we're not waiting for Messiah. So when the gospel moved beyond Israel, it took this form. Because nobody was waiting for Messiah except for Jewish people. It made no sense. That didn't, didn't sound like good news to anybody except for Israel, Right? So he's reminding them the gospel that he preached to them. Um, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Like, like they didn't catch that it's important. He's reminding them of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to, how do you say that? Cephas? In Polish we say Kephas. 
Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some are, have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The, the cool thing about this verse is that when he starts quoting what is, the, what is the gospel, it's not actually his writing, he's quoting something. Uh, the, the Greek scholars say that it's written in a way that it's not rhyming, but it has a rhythm, like a nursery rhyme. It's like a creed, like a hymn. Very possible that people were singing that in the church. Just imagine raising your hands, he appeared to 500. Like, like, what? That's not a song to sing that you want to sing in the church. But that's what they were repeating to one another. And uh, Dr. H Gary Habermas, who is a biblical scholar, says that he's as bold as to date that part as early as fifth year after Jesus' resurrection. So what we've got here, it is in essence what was being preached beyond Israel when, when apostles were carrying out the gospel to the nations. So what's, what is it? That Jesus died for our sins. That he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and here's a list of witnesses. You can go and check it out. Most of them are still alive. I'm not preaching to you some mystical, ethereal thing. I'm talking to you about a historical fact that took place. That's the gospel. And the interesting thing is that it says that he died for our sins. Uh, I don't know what is your take on sin. Um, the Bible talks a lot about it. I don't like reading about it. <laughs> I don't like thinking too much about it. But without it, the gospel doesn't make any sense, basically. Uh, have you heard about Friedrich Nietzsche? He was a 19th century philosopher that became the most influential philosopher in the 20th century. I mean, the, the whole crazy thing with Holocaust and Hitler uh, was inspired by his, uh, his writings, Nietzsche. Nietzsche was one of the fiercest opponents of Christianity in that, that time. And you know what was his main thing against Christianity? It was not that they loved so much. It was not spiritual gifts. It was this little thing that we talk about. It is sin. He called it false diagnosis of human heart. And then he said that the gospel is a false cure for a false problem. He hated Christianity for that. He had no problem with other things we do. So, let me tell you another story to, uh, to, to bring the point home. Uh, I come from Krakow, as, as Pastor Doug mentioned, and one hour away is Auschwitz. Have you heard about Auschwitz? The death camp? One of the guys who was in Auschwitz was a Jew named Yehiel de Nur. He survived Auschwitz. So a few years after World War II, when Adolf Eichmann, one of the main uh, designers of the final solution, the final solution was to get rid of all the Jews from the planet, was captured, and he was being tried in Jerusalem. So there are actually videos on YouTube. It was recorded, black and white. You can go online and, and, and type in on YouTube, Adolf Eichmann uh, trial in Jerusalem. You'll find those. 
And if you type in Yehiel the Nur, you will find that particular clip. So there's a clip where, where uh, Yehiel the Nur is in the same room facing Adolf Eichmann, that guy who was responsible for immense pain and suffering in his life and many others. And you can see Adolf Eichmann sitting there with a smirk on his face. And suddenly Yehiel the Nur stands up from behind the desk and he collapses, he faints. Years later, he's been interviewed on a chat show here in the States called 60 Minutes. Is it, is it still on? So the guy who was interviewing him uh, asks, asks him, uh, what happened that day? That, I mean, was it, were you afraid of Eichmann so much that you fainted? And here's what Yehiel said. He said, yes, I was afraid, but not of him. I was afraid of myself. Because I was sitting in front of the guy who was God of death in my eyes. He was dealing death left and right as he pleased. And I just realized he's just a mere mortal. He's just a man. And in that second, I realized I'm capable of doing the same things he did. And then he finished that thought with a sentence. Adolf Eichmann is in each one of us. Now, I know what, you, what most of you are feeling right now. I mean, you exaggerate. Get out of here. That's not me. If I was saying to you, Adolf Eichmann is in, in each one of us, you would have every right to say that. But that sentence coming out of the lips of Auschwitz survivor, it should at least make us pause for a second and try to figure out what is he trying to say. He would have every right to stand in a position of victim and demanding that everything that he lost would be given back to him and that guy would be judged. But instead, he fears himself. He's got this one crazy aha moment. There was another guy living about the same times. His, his name was uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Have you heard about the guy? Russian, he used to be a communist. You know, you know the problem with communists was they, they thought that evil was in a certain class of society. Like Nazis thought that evil was in a certain ethnic group. So they figured if you get rid of that ethnic group, it'll be all good. Shangri-La, paradise Eden all over again on the planet. We just need to get rid of these people. They cause all the problems. Solzhenitsyn was a communist, so he thought, all the problems are in the bourgeoisie. We need to get rid of them and then redistribute wealth evenly. That's going to be Shangri-La again. And then he had a moment, aha moment, and he realized, huh, evil is not in a certain class. And then he, here's, here's a quote. He says, the line between good and, and evil runs across every human heart. I could go on and on with examples from outside of the Bible to prove the point that is quite clear in the Bible. Other smart people notice that. I mean, you don't, need to, you don't need to live long on the planet to realize that there is something inherently wrong with this place. And it's painful because it's beautiful, but broken. And Bible calls the main thing, the root of that evil, sin, and that sin resides not in ethnic groups, not in society classes, not in systems, 
not in political parties, it resides in every human heart. So that's the bad news. But you need bad news in order to get good news. So the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's solution to defeat the evil at its root. Our hearts. He found a way to destroy it without destroying you and I. And uh, we talk a lot about God's love, and we need to. God is love, but he's way more than that. And uh, sometimes I see Christians in my context try to explain gospel mainly from the point of view of, of God being love. And I very often see that it makes no sense to people, especially if they don't understand the problem of sin. It's like, let me give you another story. Just imagine a couple in love, a boy and a girl walking along the river. It's a violent river, okay? You don't want to fall into that river. And the guy is thinking, I, want, I need to really convince the girl that I really love her. What do I do? And he says, I love you. I'm going to prove it to you. And he jumps into the river and he dies. Would she feel loved? She would need counseling after that. Right? That's not the proof of love. That's foolish. That's stupid. That's how a lot of non-believers feel when we say, hey, God loves you. He died on the cross. It just doesn't add up. Makes no sense. Just imagine the same situation. They walk along the river and she falls into the river. And he jumps right after her. And he dies while rescuing her. She would still be sad because she lost a great guy. But she would be feel, feel eternally grateful for his sacrifice. So without knowing the problem, without understanding the depth of the problem, the good news makes little sense. It, it goes, the, the, the good taste of it usually goes away quite quickly. You just go... You just want to go after another experience and experience and experience. By the way, nothing against experience. I love experiences with God. I want a lot of them. So here's the helpful summary of the gospel that, uh, that it's uh, from Dr. Keller from New York. He says, you know that the gospel operates in your heart when you understand you've got two things, two thoughts operating in your heart and mind at the same time. One, that you are more sinful than you dare to admit. That doesn't sound fun at all. I mean, I, I feel ash in my mouth when I say it. But at the same time, in Jesus, you are more loved and accepted than you ever, ever hoped for. It's not just one, it's not just the other. Both at the same time, they create this engine that creates power in us to follow him and live, uh, to represent him in a worthy manner. So why, why, why am I spending so much time on that? Because I've been a Christian for 23 years now, <laughs> and only four years ago I rediscovered that truth again, and it became this huge, huge, uh, um, powerful engine in my life to not only live for him, with more passion, but also to be a witness. And when you go to Corinthians, that's what it says. 
he died for our sins according to the scripture. That's what they preached 2,000 years ago. Okay? Make sense? So this is what is being a witness. This is the content of our witness. So what does one need to be a witness? Qualifications. There's this uh, word in the Bible that I really love. It's but, B-U-T. I have to spell it because with my pronunciation, you will understand the wrong thing. It is here in verse 8. It's very often in Psalms. I love it when, it when it happens in Psalms. In Psalms, the psalmist will go, this is terrible in my life. This doesn't work. I'm pitiful. I'm miserable. I mean, you could, you could make a country song to most of the Psalms, or, or blues. <laughs> and then, he usually gets to the word, but you are merciful and faithful. We usually go other way around. We usually, go, we usually come to church, you're so amazing, faithful, but my life, it doesn't work. Okay, that was for free. That's a great lesson. Just change the order. It's okay to complain to God as long as there's a but moment. Okay? So here's a but moment. They meet with the resurrected Jesus. And they ask him questions, good questions, important questions. He says, well, it's not the time. It's not for you to know now, but you will receive power. You know what it tells me? That in order to be a good witness, you don't need to have all the answers. You might even have very important questions. You might have a question, I mean, if I, unless I understand that, I will not be able to witness. No? You will receive power. And you'll be my witnesses. Don't take it as an excuse not to learn, not to study, not to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God, apologetics, whatever, history of the church. But you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. Being a witness is a matter of honesty and joy. Because if you understand that it's a historical fact, if that big story became your story and it changed you, it changed your heart, how can you be silent about the main power that animates your life? Not speaking about it is being dishonest. It's, taking, it's shying away. It's not sharing the most important part of your life with people whom you claim to love. So how does the Spirit and His power help here? Well, John... 16.8 says that when he comes, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit on this planet. We need him to do that because we can't do that. Have you ever tried to convict somebody of their sin? Good luck. <laughs> My wife has been trying to do that to me for 12 years. I've been trying to repay her with the same thing doesn't work. You need Holy Spirit to come and shine light on that part of your life. Without Him, you can preach your heart away to people. Use all, this, all the tricks, tools, and stories. Even if they believe you, somebody more eloquent will come after you and convince them other way. 
We need Holy Spirit. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to receive the bad news about yourself in order to receive the good news about Jesus Christ. That gospel is foolishness for the educated. It is weakness and blasphemy for those who desire power in this life to succeed and make a mark on this planet. It makes no sense. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, no one can be saved. Let me link those two ideas with, for you. The joy and sin. Not joy of sin. Two concepts. Okay? <laughs> because very often we don't... What robs us of our witness is sin. Because what sin does, it robs us of our joy. Sin makes you stupid, bless you. Sin makes you stupid. Have you ever, have you ever experienced a moment where... Uh, you are in sin, in habitual sin, and you start making up excuses in your mind. And then the Holy Spirit comes and He convicts you. And then you look back and you look at those excuses and the stupidest things ever. They make no sense. They made so much sense when you were in sin. Have you experienced that before? Just, just me? I mean, I could believe it's just me. I mean, that's okay. So, uh. But... King David, when he sinned, he wrote a psalm after being confronted by, by the prophet, Psalm 51. And verses 12 and 13 say this. He's praying, he's, he's repenting, turning away from that thing back toward to God. By the way, he says, I sinned against you, you only. He didn't sin only against God. He sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, the whole nation. But his conviction is so deep, he knows that that's the main problem. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. Anybody feeling joy? Because God saved you? Or maybe it lost its taste. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Then I will evangelize. Then I will be a witness. Restore to me the joy without that. The other thing is not really possible. It's just, it's recruiting. Jehovah Witnesses are great at recruiting. We're not recruiting people. We're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? Shall we move on? Another way Holy Spirit helps us gives us power is by fruits of the Spirit. You know those nine? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a funny thing about those things because they, they don't impress anybody if you've got love in a loving environment. That doesn't impress anybody. Of course you're going to act in a loving way if loving people surround you. Of course of course, you're going to have self-control if there's no challenge in your life. But if you see somebody going through a difficult moment in their life and acting in a loving way, regardless, having self-control, if you see somebody treated in a kind way and responding with kindness, whew, that will stop many people and say, what is it? I want some of that. Fruits of the Holy Spirit. Then we read about gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we love those. 
I mean, they're beautiful, they're amazing. But let me propose this idea to you, because maybe, I mean, you're probably very balanced in that way and wise, but I've experienced back in Poland a few crazy things where people judge one another based on the level of anointing or amount of gifts they have. Well, so this is what I teach my church. Gifts are not normative in a way that we don't judge, evaluate one another based on gifts we have because God gives them as he wills. We celebrate them. We desire them. We use them. We want more of them. But we evaluate one another and ourselves by fruits. Fruits are normative. Fruits are normative in the life of a Christian. I do hope and I do pray that right now, today, you've got more of love and kindness and self-control than you had a year ago. Can I put that challenge in front of you? And let's not pitch the word against the spirit. That is the foolish thing to do. We have no luxury of choosing between one and another. We need both. And God identifies one with another very strongly. He says, take the word of this, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's one and the same thing. Where, where the word is, is dwelling with richness, the spirit comes. We don't need to choose like, oh, this church is strong in theology, but they have no spirit. Oh, that church is great because they've got so much spirit, but no word. I mean, you need to have both. Are you okay, guys? Still with me? So we talked about what is, what is a witness. And hopefully, being a witness becomes a much more encouraging idea in your mind than being evangelist or evangelizing anybody. And then we talked about the content of it. We talked a little bit about the qualifications and about how Spirit gives us power to do that. And if I left you right now and send you away saying, now go and be witnesses, I would do you a disfavor a little bit. Because with all of that, we also need a very strong motivation. Let me give you one. No, Holy Spirit does also one thing. He always puts a spotlight on Jesus. Always. He always praises Jesus and puts him, puts him up front for, for anybody to see. And think about Jesus for a moment and the, in, the, in the context of witnessing. He did that all his life. He witnessed faithfully to the goodness of the Father. He didn't shy away even once from witnessing. He didn't cower away even once from witnessing. And look how his life ended. He should receive the glory and the praise of the Father. He should have heard, because you've been so faithful, come. Let me praise you in front of everybody. What, what did he get? He got, where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? He witnessed already. He not only saved you, he also saved your witness. Can I say that? Does that make any sense? He saved your witness. So right now your witness doesn't, doesn't flow out of trying to earn something with God. He did it for you. He already has been the witness you should have been and you can't be. So now you're free to go ahead and experiment. Because he did it for you. You're safe. Okay? There's no more judgment because of him. 
He's the witness that we should have been. He's been that for us instead of us, so now we can do it out of gratitude, out of winning hearts. He paid a dear price for that. If you believe that, it will melt your heart day by day. It will make it softer and softer and more willing to take a risk for him. Because you know what kind of risk he's taken for you. So let, let me spend this last four minutes uh, praying a little bit with you all. Is that okay? Because some of you have been listening to what I've been saying and uh, maybe when I talked about quoting Psalm 51, maybe you realize that this is your situation. I mean, you, you haven't felt joy of salvation. Not joy because of circumstance. That's a different thing. Not happiness. The joy of salvation. You haven't felt that for a long time. It didn't taste, it hasn't tasted as good as it tasted when you got saved for the first time. You remember that day when you got saved for the first time? You couldn't get, nobody could rip you away from the Bible. You stayed long hours reading the Word of God. You were so hungry. You remember that day? Anybody? Well, maybe Holy Spirit is right now con convincing you. Maybe there is a habitual thought pattern, habitual sin that you've been trying to excuse, explain away. And the Holy Spirit right now is saying, okay, pause here. Pause here. I want you to change that. I want you to come back to me. Stop making excuses. Come to me and ask me to restore the joy of salvation in your heart. If that's you, just where you are, close your eyes and just have a moment with the Holy Spirit. Just ask Him. Repent. Turn away. Whatever that is, please remember also, be encouraged with the words from first letter of John, first chapter, verse 8, that when we come and confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and forgives and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So come with faith that he will do that. Father, I pray right now that, that you would your Holy Spirit do just that, that you will restore the joy of salvation, that you would fill those hearts with a willing spirit. Would you do that for, for us, Jesus, this morning? And lastly, I would like to pray for, for more power and courage. Three chapters after that chapter we read from Acts, disciples of Jesus were confronted by, by authorities of Israel and they were forbidden to preach the gospel. They came back, they reported to the rest, and they, then they prayed. I would like to pray over you with that prayer, a little bit modified. Okay? And now, Lord, please look upon our hearts. Please consider our fears, obstacles around us, dangers, 
And please grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Could you please do that for us, Jesus, this morning? We ask you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for just the, the gift of the, the word this morning. That it would just be rooted within our hearts today. Every one of you are, are amazing people. You're amazed because of what Jesus has done in your life. Yeah? As I, as I look out and just look at the, the faces that are out here, and so many of you I know very well, and, and I just know that the witness that you carry, the witness of the things that God has done in your life, and the witness of God just um, changing, transforming the breakthroughs that you've had, the breakthroughs that you're still going to have. Amen? And, when, and take that and be able to witness with that of the power of God, of the, of the, the love and the care of God and, and that in all of our lives to be able to say, listen, there was a moment, there was a time that I couldn't help myself. I was so controlled by sin, so controlled by the darkness. And I, I, even if I tried, I couldn't. But when Jesus came into my life and I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, something changed on the inside. And it's even hard sometimes to explain how that changed, but all of a sudden, everything that I used to, that I wanted to do, it changed, and all that mattered was just knowing God, and the things that I invested my life in, and I poured my life in, and I did, and I, and, and, and it all changed because of the power of God, through the power of forgiveness, through the power of His sacrifice, through the power of it all, it all changed. And I'll tell you, that just that simple, like Shemek was saying, just that simple witness of what God said in your life, because people can't say, well, that didn't happen. Well, of course it happened. I know exactly what happened in my life. I know exactly how God changed my habit patterns, how God changed the thing that used to be, I was so attracted to, that grabbed me, how it all changed. And so we have that. We carry that. You know, part of our part of our vision statement is that we're we're people that carry a move of God here into into the Richmond area, beyond Richmond, and to advance the kingdom of God. That, that's our that's our vision. That's what we see. That we we're going to be. We carry something. We all carry something. You carry a witness. You carry, you carry the proof that Jesus is alive. You carry that. Nobody else. You carry that. So, amen. Hallelujah. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to receive a, 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 a 
love offering for Shimek and his wife, Magda, and to bless them and their family and the work that they're doing in Poland is so important, so essential. And um, uh, I mean, I, I started going to Poland when the church just started. Very few, very few people. <laughs> and it's just amazing over the years what God has done and has added and thriving church there in the city and uh, in a very strong, strong Catholic nation. You don't have very many Protestant churches at all. And they're, they're not just surviving, they're thriving. And that, 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 that's just the, to the glory and honor of God. The glory and honor of Christ. Of what He's doing. And see, we're a part of that. That's the beautiful thing about it. We are a part of lives being changed in Poland. Our church is a part of lives being changed in Africa, in South Africa. We're part of our church seeing lives changed in Ukraine. We're part of that. When we stand before the Lord, He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, by the way, guys were awesome when y'all reached Poland. And he said, well, I never went to Poland. But you did. You did go. Through your giving, through your support. So we have the privilege to do that right now. Amen? So let's just take a moment. Let's say, Father, what do you want us, what do you want us to give? How can we give? Now one thing, as a reminder, that if you usually to give online you can go to our giving page and Shimmick's name because he's one of our missionaries is on that list of people that you can give to for. or you can do it as just as a guest speaker or special guest also you can give him one of those two ways okay so if you didn't bring an extra gift or offering this morning but you'd like to bless this man uh, you go home go online and sow an offering. Amen? And you can do it through uh, under the guest speaker part or right into Shimmick's ministry. So, Father, we thank you so much. God, for just being in relationship with our friend, being in relationship with what you're doing in the nation of Poland. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for guiding and leading us right now what we need to do and what we need to give. God, that you would take this simple act of giving. God, you would multiply it. Now you take these dollars and that we are sowing into this life. And God, it will be multiplied in reaching other lives. It will be multiplied in him pastoring hundreds of people, Lord God. It will be multiplied, Lord God, in as they disciple young and new believers, it's going to be multiplied. So we give today just as many years ago, a little boy gave some fish and some loaves of bread, and Jesus took it because it put, got put into the hands of Jesus. He took it and multiplied it, and it affected thousands of people. God, we thank you tonight, this day, God, that we sow this gift, Father, to you, that you may give it to Shemek, and God, it will affect thousands of people. 
So we give you praise right now. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and receive offering here this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for, for giving today. You are being highly blessed today because we're getting out early today. Okay? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I just want to remind you guys this uh, of the luncheon downstairs after church here. Like I said, uh, this is for the purpose not just to say, hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to get some food here. But it's for the purpose to say, listen, I believe maybe I'm, I, I want to hear more about what God's doing in Poland and Krakow and how I can be a partner with Shemek and Micah and uh, be, able to, be able to affect the nation of Poland. So if that's on your heart, we want to invite you and your family to be with us. Come downstairs and after church here, after we fellowship a little bit, we'll get started downstairs. Um, if we can get a couple of people, maybe, uh, if you're going to come on and be that, I know that they're trying to get things set up downstairs. If you could come downstairs and help with that, that would be much appreciated. Also, we will, uh, we will have people up here after the service here that if you need prayer today you just need someone to stand with you to agree with you to hear what the things that you, you need prayer for we would love to pray with you amen so we want to do that um, just, a, just a quick reminder that uh, if you look back and see Will and Casey Will and, Will and this this gentleman right here, this is their last Sunday being single. They, 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 they've got a little wedding coming up on Saturday, so hallelujah. Let's all stand up, okay? Let's pray. Jimmy, thank you so much for a great word this morning, my friend. Once again, if you need prayer, please come up here. We'd love to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, right now. Now you say that, Father, that you will empower us to be witnesses. And we thank you right now, God, in this place. We ask you, God, once again, to fill us, to baptize us with your Holy Spirit, with power. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you lead us into what looks like, at times, impossible situations. But you say that all things are possible in you. So, Father, we need your spirit, as Shemek was saying this morning. We cannot do anything apart from your spirit. So we thank you right now. So just take a moment and welcome. Just welcome the, the presence, the fullness the infilling of the Holy Spirit once again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we get to, de to demonstrate your power. We get to demonstrate your love, your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness, your goodness. We demonstrate your power, Lord God. Thank you this morning, Father. Fill us fresh. Fill us fresh, Lord.
Hallelujah. Amen. God bless every one of you. We love you. We will see you soon, okay?